Stoffel. And you are here because you love and appreciate the nerdiness that we produce every week for you guys, and you guys know where to find it. But for those of you who are new to the show and don't know where to find that, we are your Midwestern nerds, as we said before. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-E-R-N-E-R-D-S, at Midwestern nerds on Twitter and Instagram. Midwestern nerds at Gmail is where you can get in contact with us. The Midwestern nerds podcast on Facebook. You can find us on so many different streaming platforms. You're probably listening to us on your favorite one. If you're not, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and most recently, Amazon Music. Guys, we'd really appreciate it if you take like an hour out of your week to listen to us, or if you listen back, because apparently we're your favorite podcast and you got to go back and re-listen to us even though we don't even have 20 episodes yet. If you can please take a little bit of time to rate and review us, it means a lot to us. It does a lot for us, and it helps us to continue to come back and keep giving you this content. And now that we're through, we're going to head over to this week's news with Brian Stoffel. So to start off our news this week, we need to address some very sad news that happened within the last week we lost another iconic hollywood legend you know him as indiana jones's dad you know him from movies like the highlander and he's most known as the original mr bond sean connery passed away this week at the age of 90 it's it's sad i mean 2020 has taken so many legends away from us and although he hasn't been in hollywood very much in the past 10 years or so this guy's been acting since the 60s, and he's been such a legend. If you don't know him from James Bond, like, what rock have you been living under? <laughs> he is the original, the icon, for the longest time. I mean, even with the amount of actors that played James Bond, everybody knew James Bond as Sean Connery. And to lose him, especially this year, is such a tragedy. You know, thing to it, like, I don't want to tangent too hard but before i get into my love for sean connery the bond i always thought they went really weird with daniel craig because like if you look at all the bonds leading up to that so suave so sophisticated so handsome like sean connery set the standard for that it continued over with pierce brosnan like i wasn't old enough for sean connery to be my bond i really appreciate his movies but pierce brosnan was really my bond and Daniel Craig is not the best-looking guy they could have ever casted him for. I think he did a good job. I think his acting chops were great, and I think the movies were good in the Casino Royale run and things like that. But I think they could have gone for the different... I don't know. I think he's still an attractive human being. But at the same time, I feel like the big thing about his bond is that he wasn't really like the full-on like 
gentleman spy mm-hmm. that all the other past bonds were he like they tried something different to make him like more rogue and ruggish and like playing by his own rules and kind of tiptoeing across that line that others hadn't and i i don't know i i really like daniel craig's bond i think he did a really good job in the role there are some movies that i like of his more than others but that can be said about any bond all right so i tangented really hard there let's steer it back sean connery not only was an amazing actor he was just such an inspiration to so many people like not only from the aspect of actors like all right how can i make my bond better how can i be like sean connery you know movies you know like the the hunt for red october you know there's so many different movies that he's in so many different aspects indiana jones like being a dad being an explorer being a professor like there's so many different directions that he always took his characters in and he was always able to inspire those guys you're telling me that we didn't get the harrison ford that we now have the history character like the history um career of harrison ford if it wasn't for sean connery like he obviously plays a certain impact on top of that even comedically some of my favorite snl bits of all time are from celebrity jeopardy when and i can't even name the guy who was on snl at the time who was doing him sean connery on celebrity jeopardy are some of my favorite episodes to repull obviously it's not 100 percent genuine sean connery but again a guy who is so impactful that he can inspire you know, comedians to take on his form, to other actors to take on his form, to try and continue to grow on that legacy. And again, that is a great word to describe Sean Connery. He's a legacy actor. He's a legend. He will be missed. You know, you see this news come up and you're like, oh man, that's that's crazy. It's so sad. And then it's like, well, he was 90 years old. Like the passing of Stanley a few years ago, you know, it might've broke your heart, but he was 93 years old. Like People get up to this age, they've lived long, fulfilled lives. We're going to continue to see these legends who, who pass on, you know, pass to the other side. But we just have to really remember, not we're not just missing that they're gone, but we can continue to appreciate everything that they've given to us. Like, you go out and you couldn't fill the next three weeks end to end. You could quit your job and you could do nothing but not even sleep. And I think the next two weeks you could just watch all the Sean Connery content that exists and you still couldn't get through it all. Like, we have to really appreciate what these people did with their craft and what they gave to us. That's what we're here for. We're nerds. The only thing we can nerd out is from these guys who gave (laughs) us stuff to nerd out about. As he rides off into the sunset, I hope that 2020 doesn't take anybody else with him. Now let's continue on to some a little bit brighter news for our Newsweek. Um, It was recently announced that the Justice League Zack Snyder cut has gotten a little bit bigger as far as cast goes jared leto's joker and joe manganello's deathstroke have both joined the justice league snyder cut it hasn't been announced how big a role that they will be having in this movie but it has been announced that they are going to be in it a lot of people see this news and immediately want to jump on the bandwagon of we hate jared leto as joker for those of you who don't read the comics and only have your knowledge from the movies do not jump on the meme bandwagon and hate on Jared Leto. It's not really fair, because if you guys had read comics, and this isn't me talking down to anybody who doesn't read comics, this is me lifting people up to, to come join us, come join us at the table, you know. Let's talk about it, let's develop this conversation, because 
every Joker over time has played its part. The Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan Joker with Heath Ledger, that guy exists. The Jack Nicholson Joker, he exists. Caesar from the TV show back in the Adam West days, like he exists. You just have to look back and find the right comic book. But this, these Jokers have been portrayed over time, and the gangster Joker definitely exists. Like he, he's absolutely out there, and, and you have to remove each joker from each stall like i think each guy did such a great job with exactly that could heath ledger's joker have properly portrayed jack nicholson's joker in the tim burton's movie no it'd have been so weird to have that cryptic dark psychopath in the tim burton movies same thing to be said do you slingshot jack nicholson up ahead to the suicide squad movie people would have been furious with that kind of joker in the suicide squad movie with the will smith deadshot like margot robbie harley quinn these don't really make sense it's not the right pairing so you just need to remember that don't just hate this joker because he's not like the joker you liked before just appreciate what he's putting out there this guy is an extremely method actor he does everything he can to really delve into the character at the end of the day if you watch it and you really try to appreciate him and you don't so be it that's everyone's own opinion and again, like Brian said, we don't even know how much he'll even be involved. Like, is it going to be a short little cameo? Like, hey, there's the Joker. He's causing problems. Or is he going to become more of a protagonist in this movie as a whole where we never even saw him in the original uh, Josh Whedon cut? The thing that I think everybody kind of grabs onto with Jared Leto's Joker is just his appearance. I mean, if you're basing whether or not you liked him or hated him in his role in the suicide squad the first movie that we got you saw him for like what 10 minutes of that whole movie like there wasn't enough screen time and i don't think there was enough that was shown of his joker to really have like a concrete opinion on it i am excited to see him in this movie for two reasons one to see a director who's pretty much given free reign to do whatever he wants like to see his take with this joker compared to a director who got very much shoehorned and pushed in the corner by the studio when it came to this joker and the other thing that i'm excited about is i really hope that Zack snyder takes this opportunity to kind of answer some of those questions that he left open in batman v superman when it came to the death of Robin, of course, by the Joker. I would love to see an interaction between Ben Affleck's Batman and Jared Leto's Joker and get some kind of uh, resolution in there. And then you can't forget about Joe Manganiello either as Deathstroke. He was teased in the post credit scenes of the original Justice League cut. This guy's a great actor. He hasn't been seen in a whole lot. He had a role in like How I Met Your Mother. Like People probably recognize him from there. But this guy, not only does he look the part as a beast, but he's a nerd just like us. He has Hollywood celebrity D&D campaign. This is the guy that I feel like would go into this role with all the background knowledge to be like, this is the perfect Deathstroke, my vision of it. And I feel like it would be somewhat faithful to the comics as well. And last but certainly not least, the thing I'll bring up, I know I just beat a dead horse to the Jared Leto thing, but... The one thing that's really cool is the big talk right now is originally we're talking about this movie. And obviously we, we say movie, but again, we need to remind the fans that this is coming out on HBO in four separate parts. So it's not just even one full length movie. It's so long. They're breaking it up. We don't know exactly the length, an hour, hour and a half 
each week they're going to drop a segment of the four segments. What it's really been being called lately is Zack Snyder's vision for the DCEU. It's basically him being like, all right, Batman versus Superman was was pretty good. We put some stuff out there, but let's really set up the future for this movie franchise that we can compete with Marvel, that we can possibly be Marvel-esque, MCU-esque. So we kind of got to look at it that way, too, because originally we're looking at, oh, it's going to be Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League. It'll probably be the same. Maybe we'll get another 45 minutes. It'll be good, but it'll be the same movie. What I continue to hear more and more and more is that it's going to be an entirely different movie. They injected money into it, and not only that, like you said, they injected freedom into it. They said, Zach, here's the money, here's the people you want, go for it. And he's running away with it, so I cannot wait to see what comes out of this. Will Zack Snyder be able to build this Justice League into some quality that people will hold up to the MCU? Who knows? But as the DCU continues building, so does Marvel continue to build on their train. They also announced last week that the TV series that's going to be on Disney Plus of Moon Knight has got its star actor and a director. Oscar Isaac has been tapped to play the lead of Mark Spector, a.k.a. Moon Knight, and Mohamed Diab is going to be a director for the series. They haven't announced if he's going to direct the entire series, how many episodes he's going to be directing. The big thing about this guy is we may not recognize this name over here in the United States, but this guy is like the Christopher Nolan of Egypt. Like He's a big superstar director in Egypt, made a lot of big blockbuster movies over there, so it's really exciting to see Disney and Marvel tap into this guy to bring him over to a series that has some Egyptian roots to it. Two things. First thing, if Marvel Cinematic Universe and Disney says so, it's good. Their castings have been on point. Their directors have been on point. These movies have come out and been great. We've trusted them thus far. Let's continue to trust them, especially with somebody who's behind the camera. Second thing is, how is this guy supposed to portray Moon Knight when he's from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? (laughs) I'm just kidding. But no, uh, with the character that we saw in Poe Dameron and while he wasn't extremely... I don't think he was utilized properly, and I don't think that character was totally fleshed out because each episode you saw in the sequels, there was a lot there, and it was like, oh my god, like I could love this character. And they just kind of let him fizzle. Like they threw it on a hot pan, but then they turned, they took it off the burner. Like they're like, oh nope, we're not finishing this steak. We're gonna sear it on one side and pull it off the grill. It's raw on one side, and it's rare in the middle. You don't want to eat that exactly that's definitely how i feel about poe dameron as a character like force awakens the little bit that we saw was enough to get me hyped about him i even made like a big long facebook post about how i was excited to see this character go forward and then like you said they really didn't do too much with him i will say that although a lot of people hate this movie out of the three the last jedi did give him a decent amount to do and fleshed out his character a little bit more than seven and nine nine i don't even remember what he did other than to be like the sidekick character to help the group 
take out some stormtroopers. <laughs> well, and Poe Dameron, while a lot of people, in my opinion, while a lot of people think Finn is this guy in the sequels, I really think Poe Dameron was meant to be that Han Solo character. Like, Razor Luke Skywalker. I guess Finn then could technically be Leia, but that's, that's irrelevant. Leia's in the movie, so... But I think Poe was really could have been our Han Solo, that like that regular human guy, but that people loved. This was so cool, and he was so courageous. He was just such a badass. But they never fleshed it out to be that. And even if a guy like Finn was supposed to be that character too, they never did that either. Uh, I think the main thing, the main takeaway, I guess we're getting into more of Star Wars talking than anything. The main takeaway from a lot of the sequels is that nobody really got fleshed out. Even characters like Rey, who we think were fleshed out fully, her story doesn't really make a lot of sense. And we've talked about it on the show before, and I think eventually we'll, we should bring in the right guys and do an all-Star Wars episode. But that's not this episode. Let's talk about Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to uh, talking about Oscar Isaac. We mentioned that the majority of the world knows Oscar Isaac from Star Wars as Poe Dameron, but I encourage any listeners out there that haven't seen him in any other movies to dig into his back catalog he's been in a lot of like indie movies not all of them have been the greatest but this guy every time he comes he comes to bat and he does like the best that he can to the best of his abilities i first saw him in the coen brothers movie inside llewellyn davis where he played an indie folk singer that was kind of hard on his luck and the world just kept making things more difficult for him. Phenomenal job in that movie and excellent singer as well. He was also in another movie called A Most Dangerous Year with Jessica Chastain where they played these, this like rich family that got in trouble with the mob and then things started to go downhill for them as well i would check out those two movies and then just imdb him look at his movie catalog pick some out this guy is great and i think he'll do a fantastic job as mark specter aka moon knight so before we get off this topic you're just going on record as saying you've seen him when he comes and he comes hard and he comes really good Take it as you will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, from R-rated to PG. Yes, let's get back to uh, our regular scheduled programming. So to get back into some more family-friendly content, it was announced recently that Netflix has picked up the Assassin's Creed franchise to make a series on Netflix. There was a movie that came out that had Michael Fassbender in it that was for Assassin's Creed. Did not do very well, so much so that all the things that I heard about it steered me away from it, and I never bothered to see it. But this franchise as a whole, I think, has a lot of great opportunities, especially from the content that the recent games have delved into. You got anywhere from colonial America to pirates to Egypt to Rome. This pretty much dives into all of those classic venture like army type scenarios where i feel like you could get a really good tv show if you had a decent crew behind it it would be kind of cool to see michael fassbender in it again to kind of redeem his role but we'll see about that one of the upcoming games that's has a lot of people excited is the new assassin's creed which is vikings again do you take this tv show and dive headfirst into what you already have or do you 
blend it with the game and kind of come up with like a TV show alongside that game. So, you know, Vikings comes out, you know, on your game consoles and then you're getting Vikings Assassin's Creed. Uh, one thing I think they could really do with this is if they wanted to, instead of doing a direct storyline, like season after season after season, you could do very like American Horror Story-esque where you have the same actors playing different characters in every show. So while Michael Fassbender might continue to show up as like your lead, he's not the same guy in every, you know, every run. So he's a Viking in one and he's a Greek soldier in another one and he's a Civil War rebel in another one. Like, I think you could see some really cool storylines with that. And I mean, how many Assassin's Creed games are there? Six? I don't know. I want to say this one is would be six. So you're already set for six full seasons of content. Pick your best storyline and just create it. And again, I could be wrong. Maybe you can just blend it, you know, year by year. But again, if you're going to base it off of the games that have come out, it's going to be a really hard sell to jump from Egyptian times to Greek war times to the Civil War to the Vikings. You know, it's going to be harder. So I think, like I said, an American Horror Story-esque kind of thing, Haunting of Hill House, Bly Manor, where you inject those same actors because you know what you're getting with them. You know they're those high-quality actors. But then bringing them back to reprise different roles every season, I think would be really cool. There's a lot of potential with this series, and we'll just have to see what Netflix decides to do with it. I mean, we all know Netflix and their series, and Chad is a very uh, strong champion of Netflix, and he will fight for them nine times out of ten. So I think there's better outcomes for this series in the hands of Netflix than there was with Hollywood. And our last story for the week, the Charlie Brown Classics will no longer be aired on broadcast TV. Now if you want to watch the classic Charlie Brown holiday specials, the only place that you can watch them if you don't already own them on Blu-ray, DVD, home video, what have you, is if you have an Apple TV Plus account. Well, I have two sides to this. And first, how dare you? How dare, how dare you take away the Peanuts classics? I think everyone's been able to take away some good things from them. I think there's also some things in the Peanuts. This is a very, very old TV series with a lot of opinions in it. Um, 2020 culture. A kid who's down on his luck and his family might not have a lot of money. He's very dirty. And then on top of that, they call him Pigpen. As a kid, you're like, ha, 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 the kid's dirty. And then as an adult, you're like, oh, man, that was rough times for that kid. Uh, not only, for those of you who go back and watch the thanks, the Peanuts Thanksgiving special, I'm going to bring it up. Franklin is the only black Peanuts character. And if you look, when they're sitting at the table for Thanksgiving, they're at the long table. And I think Charlie Brown's at the head of one. And maybe it's Linus on the other side. I'm not sure. The right-hand side table has his sister, has another Peanuts kid, and then Snoopy, the dog. On the opposite side of the table, not in a dinner chair, but in a folding chair on the table by himself, is Franklin. <laughs> Racist! Peanuts? Charlie Brown, what's your problem? I don't know, maybe it was an accident. It's a very pointed accident. You know, if you didn't mean to do it, it's kind of a hard mistake to make. But again, like we said, it was a different time, a different era. I'm not saying that's right. But, um, again, at the same time, like, you know, it's been brought up before, like, look at the Charlie Brown Christmas special. A lot of good things come out of that. It's like, hey, man, our Charlie Brown Christmas tree might not be, everybody might not love it, but it's important to us. 
and that's what matters, you know. So there's a lot of good th- things that come out of it, and I may be overanalyzing, so I'm probably the bad guy in this situation anyways. All I'll add to what you said is I will use this to champion my ways of living, and that is if there's something that you love and that you want to have access to at any point in time, buy it physical. I mean, we live in a streaming world. I understand that at some point physical will disappear. I'm hoping that it's later on in my lifetime when that happens because I'm I'm sure it will happen in my lifetime. But there are so many series even that I love or movies that I can't watch streaming because I don't own those streaming services. But if I want to watch it, boom, it's right there on my shelf. Throw it in the Blu-ray player, start it up. If you love the Peanuts, if you want to watch the Christmas special, the Halloween special, go to Walmart and buy the DVD for $5. Or going to our world that we live in that lives on the internet, you can probably find the whole special on YouTube. Or you can go on Amazon and probably get a box set of Blu-rays of all the Peanuts, probably on one disc for like 15 bucks, and get all 10 Peanuts special. You get the Hanukkah and the, and the Easter one that's never been seen before. You know, the Kwanzaa one. And then I'll, I'll pile on to that. We're collectors, so it's different for us. Like We buy things to just keep them. Not hoarders, collectors. There's a fine line. I realize that. But like, and with streaming things in a streaming world, we are material girls. <laughs> oh my god. We're trying not to scare the audience away, Chad. Oh, I thought that was going to draw them in. <laughs> Whoops. And last but certainly not least, the MCU has once again got back a classic, iconic character. Daredevil was a Netflix show that lasted for three seasons. After Netflix decided that they weren't going to continue with it, they still had the rights to it until last week when the rights went fully back to Marvel. So now Marvel has the rights for Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Daredevil back from Netflix with Jessica Jones, not too far away, and Punisher as well. Exciting news. Very exciting news. I hope that Marvel does something with these shows to keep them relevant, reboot them, rebrand them. Part of me hopes that they keep the same actors, especially the actors who played Luke Cage and Daredevil. Mm -hmm. Both of them did such a phenomenal job that it would be a shame to see them end the way that they did. Even if Marvel decided that they were going to redo the show, keep the same people. Because for us fans and nerds, we love those actors. But as like the common viewer, they're going to recognize that person as that character. The one I'll always champion is Michael Coulter. Michael Collier. I, I forget how they pronounce his name on the French side or whatever. He was a phenomenal Luke Cage. He looked like Luke Cage. He acted like Luke Cage. He had the mannerisms like Luke Cage. He was awesome as Luke Cage. I got to meet the guy in person. Super nice guy. I like had the shakes the whole time I was meeting him. Like, I'm trying not to be weird, but you're awesome, and I am really happy to meet you. Yeah, and, and again, Charlie Cox was phenomenal as Daredevil as well. There have been more than one tease now that Daredevil came back to the MCU that we'd see him show up in a Spider-Man movie, maybe as um, Peter Parker's lawyer. And again, this is more of those 
those high and dry rumors that we might not see come out. I think more realistically, they don't go after a big hit like that, but they take like a Foggy Nelson and bring him in as your actor or your lawyer in a Spider-Man movie. And then that is just a super hard, hard tease to Daredevil coming back to the MCU. And again, you could be like, oh, sorry, my, you know, my buddy Matt, he should have been here. He's late. Sorry, he's blind. He gets lost sometimes and whatever. And just kind of poking, like kicking the tires on it. And again, like famed actor, Foggy Nelson, Fulton Reed of the Mighty Ducks. Like this guy, he's my guy. I want him. Like, let's see him in the MCU. Again, it's a shame that Netflix never really did anything with the Iron Fist franchise. Like, they had the rights to it for so long, and they just never really incorporated it into a TV series. They never used the character at all. I just, I mean, I wish I would have seen at least some form of a show on Netflix. In all reality, I don't think they really knew what to do with that show. With what show? With Iron Fist. I know you. I know you've removed no, no, no. that from your There's memory. There's no more embossing. Saying. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I know you removed that show from your memory, which uh, you have every right to, because if they took my favorite Marvel character and butchered just them, bastardized them, and butchered them as badly as they did, like for three seasons, if you count Defenders, yeah. And his little bit in Luke Cage. The only thing that I don't think that they messed up is the. I think the actor was good. I think they had a good actor, a curly-haired blonde, Danny Rand. I think they did that right. And a lot of people were like, how can he be a kung fu master if he's not Asian? It's like, that's not the story. That's not how this story works. That's not comic book accurate. Like, Colleen Wing, I'll give you that. Yep, that was supposed to be right. Misty Knight is a black character. Colleen Wing, and actually, to be fair, in the comics, she wasn't Asian either, but it worked here. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. It doesn't have to be a certain way. But if you want to be accurate, don't argue that he should have been Asian because the, the character is a martial arts master. That's not a good argument. But again, I have a lot of gripes with this show, but that's one thing that I wasn't. So like you said, bring these actors back. I'm going to make a pitch here that probably hasn't been really thought of and if it has i don't know how popular of a pitch or opinion it would be but i would love to see marvel bring these shows to hulu because disney owns hulu you can be more adult on hulu than you can on disney plus Mm -hmm. and i think you could carry on that same content that same quality and like mature content that you got from netflix i feel like Disney and Marvel, they have all the money in the world right now. I feel like they could even buy those seasons from Netflix to stream on Hulu and just continue the story. Especially with Daredevil, when you had that tease at the end of a proper bullseye, a full and proper bullseye, and then it led nowhere. Luke Cage was now the kingpin of Harlem, basically. That went nowhere. So many unfleshed storylines. Like, the Defenders even, so like, oh my god, let's bring in a Sigourney Weaver. Like, let's bring in a heavy hitter. Like, come <laughs> on, man. Like, the fact that, like, Danny Rand and Luke Cage can spend, like, two full episodes together, but there's never really, like, a Heroes for Hire reference. Like, come on, man. That's how these characters were born. That's I'm not going to say that. That's how these characters were born. That's how those characters were saved. The Iron Fist and Power Man runs almost died on their own. But when they reinvigorated those characters together as the Heroes for Hire, it just refueled 
their run in the comics, and that's exactly what they could have done with this show. But again, like you said, one door closes, another door opens. Disney has the money. Like, you're telling me Netflix, there's no ceiling, there's no le- level to where they'll they'll never say yes to them buying those storylines? Like, and if not, who cares? Bring those actors back. They haven't aged out. They're fine. They're good actors. They're good actresses. Bring them back. Let's run it back on Hulu. And I get how some of them, like, Iron Fist, just to name one out of those Marvel Netflix series, like, didn't perform as well. But then you also get Daredevil, which was one of, if not the most show on Netflix at the time. Punisher did extremely well. Luke Cage did extremely well. It's a no-brainer to bring those. Well, we're talking about all these heroes here. If I see anyone but John Barenthal portray the Punisher in the MCU, uh, I was going to say something stupid like I'll never watch an MCU movie again. <laughs> I will be under heavy protest of that because he, bar none, is the perfect portrayal of Frank Castle I have ever seen from the action stuff to the PTSD stuff to the dad stuff to the just insane range this guy has. And I loved every second of his Punisher too, but we could sit here and blow these Marvel defenders for the next 45 minutes, but I don't think that's necessarily what the point of this news topic was. No, it's not. But with that, we will be ending news for the week. And we've spent the majority of this episode getting off on our own tangents and nerding out about things. One of the ones that we nerded about was Star Wars, and now we're going to do a little bit more nerding out about that. There was a special show that continued this past week, The Mandalorian. We wanted to take our main topic for this week to talk about Season 1. Heavy spoilers, so if you haven't watched Season 1 yet, I don't think you plan on watching it at all because you've had more than enough time to catch up. We're going to drop all the spoilers. We're going to talk about the things that we liked. If there were things we didn't like, we'll mention them. And then we're going to talk as spoiler-free as we can about the first episode of Season 2, which dropped last Friday. You're not joking at all when you say it's something that we can nerd out about. I would argue that The Mandalorian is the best Star Wars content that has come out in the last two decades. Back to 2000. That includes the prequels, that includes the sequels, and as hard as it is for me to say, it includes the Clone Wars and the Rebels animated series. The, the Clone Wars and Rebels, Clone Wars more so, holds a special place in my heart, but what Jon Favreau brought us with The Mandalorian is nothing I could have ever possibly expected. It took what I loved about the prequels and the few things that I could take away from the sequels and combined it with my love of the original trilogy and made it into a TV series that, we've talked about this before, I'm a binger. I'm not a weekly consumer. I was waiting, like just on the TV, waiting for that clock to tick over to watch the episode of The Mandalorian every Sunday when it came out. It is everything I love about Star Wars and more. Yeah, this is a show that, like you said, you want to binge watch, but it Disney Plus is like, nope, we're going to just give you a little bit at a time. I can attest to this because that's what I did with season one this past week before the first episode of season two came out. I spent my lunch breaks watching Mando like every day. When it got to Friday and I still had like two or three left, 
I binged all those, and then I jumped into season two right away. Dude, I was so mad. So mad. So I told I told my kid, I'm like, hey man, like Sunday, we're going to have time to watch. I said, I'm going to wait because we're not going to have time on Friday and Saturday I got to work. We're going to wait. On Sunday, you and I will watch the show together. We'll watch it right away in the morning. Mom's not up. Baby's still asleep. We're going to do it. He goes, awesome. He got out of bed at 7. I got out of bed at 7.30. To find out, he had an episode and a half of season one left. <laughs> Not that I dislike those episodes, but I know what happens in those episodes. I was ready to watch the new episode, and I sit there, gritting my teeth, just waiting. And again, like... Like I said, I loved the the first season, so it wasn't in so much duress. Like, oh my god, I want the new episode. But I had waited an extra two days to watch it with my boy. And I had to wait that much longer. I'm like, I could have stayed in bed. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, you're not. You had a year. But like you said, though. It's still it's... such high quality content. It doesn't matter. He could have been like, I have the whole season to watch. I'd be like, okay, I guess. Plus that two-part finale of season one, like, alone, was just pure gold. Um, yeah, so, I mean, let's kick it all the way back. Your memory will be a lot fresher than mine, so I would love for you to lead this conversation, and I'll chime in, because I did not rewatch the way that you rewatched. I just went into it having known what I remembered, I guess. This is one of the few, like, Star Wars shows, movies, what have you, that I feel like you could go into without watching any Star Wars and still love and appreciate. And that's because of the way that even just the first episode like sets up this story. It sets up the world. It sets up the Mandalorian, the, what kind of character he is. The first 10 minutes is him on a job. So you know full well like what he does. Then you get the background of the Mandalorians and themselves on this planet. Then he gets sent out to do a job. He meets Queel, which was, uh, I forget the actor's name, but uh, the raspy, the raspy voice guy. But, uh, and his character is great, adds some humor to it with being serious at the same time. Then we get that epic fight and team up at the end of the episode with a droid bounty hunter. They're both trying to get this package that the remnants of the Empire want and have hired the Mandalorian for. And the episode ends with the reveal that the package is Baby Yoda. Probably the best kept secret that Hollywood has had in the past 10 years. Because with the world that we live in and the internet... And so many leaks and spoilers getting out, like, you can't keep a secret like Baby Yoda from anyone. And yet they managed to pull that off and have that big reveal at the end that made everyone super excited to see what was coming next in the season. I don't want to uh, kick it back too far, and I'm just going to make this point really quick. Nick Nolte. That's the guy. Oh, name. okay. You got right. <laughs> I was looking it up. I'm like, I'm going to find it before he knows. You're right in that no one would have... I don't think you would have had to see any Star Wars content before this to enjoy this show. But I think having consumed Star Wars prior to makes this more fun. When you're like, oh, oh, they're on that planet. And, oh, wait, I recognize that. And it, it, there's so many Easter eggs and teasers. And even if they weren't intended to be Easter eggs or teasers, it made the show so much more fun. Especially, like you said, after the first episode, the reveal of Baby Yoda. You're like, 
I know that little green thing. I've only seen one ever before. If you read the comics or the books, there's a second one, Yoda and then Yaddle. Um, but it's irrelevant. But mm-hmm. you're like, oh my god, that's baby Yoda. Which technically isn't accurate because it's just their species. It's the child. It's the child, technically, <laughs> because it's just their species. So it's not technically a Yoda because Yoda is his name. But that just is way too barrel straight for the nerd dumb. I call him Baby Yoda. I've got his pop right over there on his shelf. My baby boy upstairs has a stuffy of Baby Yoda hanging with all his other ones. We love Baby Yoda in this house. So we call him Baby Yoda, not the child. I think everyone pretty much calls him Baby Yoda. Why wouldn't <laughs> That's like that purist attitude where it's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, why do you want to take away the fun? Right. Why do you, you're, all you're doing is taking it away from yourself. When we end this conversation, I'm going to turn around and call him Baby Yoda. If you want to be mad that it's that, be mad by yourself. Be miserable. But misery loves company, as they say. I think one of my favorite parts uh, in the series is when you flash ahead and one of my favorite characters next to Baby Yoda and next to the Mandalorian and next to all the people who I loved was Gina Carano's Cara Dune. The Flash Trooper from the previous war, originally Empire, but now was like, wow, that was jacked up. I'm not going to do that. She is kind of like a refugee on this planet, but a total badass. And one that was originally rumored to end up playing She-Hulk, which I was so all in for. Again, the actress that they chose, not bad, but I was really big on her. She was a WWE girl for a while. I thought she was... I don't think it was WWE. I thought it was MMA. I could be wrong. It's one of those two. And again, you know, and that's the thing. She was, even in the show, too, they really portrayed her to be such a badass. Like, that scene where they're in, like, that, like, pub, and they're doing that electric belt thing, and this guy's like, thinks he's beating the shit out of her, and then he shoves her to the ground, but she wraps that electric band around her arm to pull him in and then beat just the shit out of him is just a small glimpse into what they are. And then her and the Mandalorian help to, to you know, kind of rebel against the... What are they? Are they First Order in this? Or are they Empire? Like I think they're Empire. Because this, this takes point. place right after... Yeah, the Death Star explodes, right? Yes. In um, Return of the Jedi. So, yeah. They're just kind of hanging around at this point. So, they're kind of getting pushed out. But they help to release this camp from the Empire Clutches. Also, one of the fucking funniest, um, and if not most adorable, Baby Yoda moments when they're him, her and the Mandalorian are fighting, and they're, like, beating the crap out of each other, and they basically have, like, him in a chokehold, and then Baby Yoda sips from that soup. He's, like, <laughs> just watching these, like, lethal killers go at it, and, like, five yards away, he's, like, have you tried the soup? One of the memes to come out of the show now with the Baby Yoda and the soup. Yeah, great episode. Oh, such a good one. Mom, on Christmas morning, when we're opening our presents at 4 a.m. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so many, so many Mandalorian things to come out of this. So many Baby Yoda memes, so much memeage to come out of this show. My favorite episode, and I think the strongest episode out of this first season, I feel like was the third episode. When he gets Baby Yoda back to the planet, hands him over to the the Imperial Guards, he gets his reward, the Beskar, the coveted Mandalorian medal, goes back to the underground lair where the Mandalorians are, gets his new badass Beskar, like, super shiny armor, and then you think he's gonna go off 
and start a new adventure, but he's also contemplating, like, leaving Baby Yoda, the child, with them, and then he just says, fuck it, goes back, wastes them. Everybody. Wastes all the Imperial guys, takes Baby Yoda, goes on the run on the streets, then all of a sudden, boom, there's a bounty on his head. Now all the bounty hunters are after him, too, and he's trying to escape, and then who comes to the rescue but an army of Mandalorians. To see that army of Mandalorians against the bounty hunters and then they get him out of there. He turns that corner and then you just see guys on jetpacks and blasters and stuff is going wild. It was so cool. I did look into your, uh, you were correct. She was not uh, WWE, some actress. She was an MMA fighter who was specialized in Muay Thai. We'll just give her stats quick. She had eight total fights in MMA, seven wins and one loss, three wins by knockout, one by submission, and three by decision. I'm not messing around with this girl. No. No, no, no. no. Absolutely not. Even after watching the show, you know. Like, you're like, no, I'm cool. Well, not only that, but you also got a teaser of, like, her capabilities in the first Deadpool movie when she was the the bad guy in that, too. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There, oh my god, we could go on for hours. I mean, not only that, Carl Weathers is like the head of the Bounty Hunter Society. Dylan! Yeah! From The Predator! Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy, like, the actors that they pulled in here. Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. Just so many phenomenal Bob actors. Elvis from Sons of Anarchy and Bill Burr were both in the same episode. Yeah, just a lot of big people. A lot of big superstar talented people that they got for this show that you know portrayed their characters phenomenally deservingly so again this basically this show ends up where you're originally thinking you're just going to follow some bounty hunter style you know boba fett where he goes from job to job he ends up really finding a love for this child and protecting him in every you know every episode he finds himself in more trouble and more trouble and more trouble and at the end of the day, his route is to protect the child that we find out early on, probably in the fourth or fifth episode, is just like Yoda, force sensitive when he lifts that jersey. That was in episode two. Really? That early? So in episode two, he lifts that. The mudhorn. The mudhorn, a giant hippopotamus rhinoceros that weighs like three tons, is about to smash Mando. And he stops it and lifts it in the ground. Or lifts it off the ground, rather. And then, of course, he passes out afterwards, super adorably. But that's when he's like, ooh, gosh. Mando's like, I got something special on my hands here. Speaking of Force-sensitive Baby Yoda, one of my favorite scenes in the whole first season, one of the funniest scenes is in the last episode, where the... (laughs) The Imperial TIE Fighter is, like, shooting at them, and they're trying to figure out how to take this thing down with just their little blasters. And Carl Weathers is like, hey, baby, do the magic hand thing! Do the magic hand thing! And he's waving his three fingers in front of him, and Baby was just like, hi! And, like, waves. <laughs> <Just> waves at <laughs> him! And, like, and the funny part is, because Cara Dune and Mandalorian, and the Mando are like, what did you expect? He's a baby. <laughs> right? And then Carl Weathers is like, I had to try. We keep saying baby for those of you who are listening to the spoilers and haven't. He's actually rumored to be 50 years old at this point, uh, which kind of bodes to Yoda's age, which is somebody who has said like upwards of 800 to 1,000 years old being Yoda at that old age. When does he come into adolescence? When does he come into young age? When does he come into adulthood? Like We could be looking at baby Yoda for technically another 50 years. 
until we see him become, you know, a kid and, and things like that, which is pretty cool. Some other things that come out of this, uh, we see him in an episode with a Carl Weathers again. The reason he has the, the love for the hand thing is because he gets attacked by some unknown pterodactyl-style creature who kills some of his bounty hunters and then scratches him up and he gets poisoned. And originally he's like, no, 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 don't let him touch me. And he comes over and then we see force healing. So really, uh, one of the only things that, while we thought it was going to be a bigger crossover, I think this was the true thing that led into the uh, last uh, movie for the sequels was force healing, where we saw it in The Mandalorian by Baby Yoda. We never really had seen it before in any Star Wars movie, but we all just kind of pretended it existed because we wanted to pretend it existed. And then we see Ray use it in the sequels in Episode Nine. But yeah, he uses it there, and that's where he goes, use the hand thing, like, you can do it. Jason Sudeikis, if you're not aware, are you aware Jason Sudeikis was, that was the stormtrooper storm yep. who punches Baby Yoda in the face? That guy took so much heat on Twitter. His old acting troupe, his improv troupe, uh, where he used to act, went, went open, they had an open word on Twitter. They're like, hey, um, in regards to our alumni, Jason Sudeikis, we do not approve or condone of his actions against the child. Like was... He was he was on Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel, one of those late night shows not yeah. too long ago, and they brought this up and he had forgotten that like he had even done that. How did you forget that? <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know. But I remember coming across that video and I thought the same thing. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're just firing all over the place. Um I guess let, let me turn it back over to you. Do you have more that you wanna my, I only have one other thing that I want to bring up. I'll see if you want. My last thing that I will talk about is Taika Waititi as IG-11. Brought so much comedy of like how serious of a bounty hunter he was in that first episode. And then when he comes back at the end of the season and he's the nurse droid. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted more of it. I wanted more of it. But since it's the spoiler talk now, his death... And Nick Nolte as Quill, like both those characters, I was sad to see pass. I really mean, hit home. it's powerful. It added to the story and it raised the stakes too. Because one of the things that I don't like when we get popular shows or movies is when we get characters that are lovable and that they know the audience is going to love and they keep them around and they keep them around and they keep them around and nobody like the only people that die off are like the background characters or like or the bad guys or the bad guys are like a sidekick that was already made to be unlikable or not as likable as the others like it hits home when you got strong characters that didn't take too long to develop to what they were that made you love them and then kick them off the board. Right. I mean, you say it doesn't take very long, but there's characters we watch in movies that we form that bond with and then we see them die or we see them leave or it's like, oh man, that really hurts. Like, Quill, while he wasn't in every episode, IG-11, while he wasn't in every episode, you built a bond with those characters. IG-11, I think, while he went out the way he did being a hero, I think the greatest IG-11 scene is when he has Baby Yoda strapped to his chest. Yep. He's on the speeder bike. He sets like a cruise control. He's like driving the speeder bike with his legs, doing full 360 rotations with blasters in both hands, tearing through this bounty hunter city, just blasting, not only with both of the guns, but also, what, however, using his legs to use the speeder bike blasters too. Just And the whole time, he's sitting there murking guys, just straight up murdering stormtroopers, and Baby Yoda's like... Having the time of his life. 
And he's also protecting the child too. Like, yeah, he's. You see him move in ways that, like, he's taking the, the hits. The blaster's coming. He turns. He takes the shot. He turns back and kills the guy. Oh, just such lovable characters. And Takia Watiti came back and directed. I think two was it two or one? It might have been one. Directed one of the episodes for the Mandalorian as well. He directed the final episode, which is the one he goes out on. Yep, which is and. Cool. I think I think yeah, he might have directed one or two. Others. I thought it was. I think it was the first one he was in, and then the last one he was in. I think he directed both of them. That would make sense. I could be wrong, but the last thing I want to bring up, which is really cool, because it's a link to Clone Wars and the Rebels animated series, is Juan Carlos Benito's character at the end, the big bad guy at the end of the series. He gets blown out of his Tie Fighter. You think he's all but said none, and then you see a a hole getting cut in the side of the ship. And he comes out, and the dude is wielding a black lightsaber. Which, again, originally not canon, but then said through George Lucas that the Clone Wars and the Rebel series are canon, bringing the black lightsaber, the non-Jedi or Sith-labeled saber, into the Mandalorian. That part was so sweet, mostly because, like, as a child, and I even have, like, pictures that i drew when i was drawing star wars and whatnot i always wanted a black lightsaber in star wars i always thought that that would have been such the sweetest most badass bad guy weapon and then to see that come i haven't watched clone wars yet so i don't know the history behind it but just to see it as a casual fan and that again goes into what i brought up at the beginning of the conversation is that you don't have to have watched everything to love and appreciate this show does it help do you pick up more of like those little hints and teases? Absolutely. But for me, seeing the movies and not the Clone Wars, I don't know what that black lightsaber is, but I still think it's badass. You know what that black lightsaber is, and that adds even more to it as well. The last thing that I'll bring up is this show also gives parents the ultimate line to use on their children with Quill's character. You say what you need to say, and then you say, I have spoken. And then you just walk away. And you make it known that, boom, this is the law. Dude, this two is... parenting <laughs> lines of Quill's I have spoken. Or the Mando, this is the way. Right? Why do we do it this way? This is the way. It's a new twist on because I said so. Like, right? way, way cooler. Like, I have spoken. This is the way. No, I totally agree. So now we're going to head into what was before spoiler fill. And now we're going to go spoiler free in a quick synapse of episode one of season two so we don't want to get too spoilerish with episode one of season two mostly because there may have been some people who haven't had the opportunity to watch this yet it's so brand new i personally hate spoilers so we're going to try to keep this as spoiler free as we can i will just open up and say that everything you love about season one continues and even improves in some aspects in season two we get mando being a badass we get mando being a badass we get baby yoda being cute adorable this episode really introduces where this season's gonna go and it wasn't something that i expected right off the bat but makes sense when you think about it and by the end of the episode you get really excited about it we go to a familiar place We see some familiar people. We see new people with familiar things. I think one thing we can get back to is 
two things that were talked about in, uh, and this technically speaking isn't a spoiler because this has been news for over a year now. We have actor Timothy Oliphant playing an important role in this show. Important to an old character in, in the series. But then we also get the information that actor Tamir Morrison was said to play a role in The Mandalorian Season 2. So if those of you who knew, those of you who don't know, those of you who want to Google it or don't want to Google it, these are big leads into this show. So we'll give you Mando being awesome, Baby Yoda being adorable, Timothy Oliphant, and Tamira Morrison. Set in a familiar place. And that's Absolutely. all that we can really tell you without getting too spoilerish. So we will definitely <clears throat> at some point in the future be talking spoilers about this show. But we want to keep it as spoiler free for now for listeners out there who haven't seen it yet. Because we have to check ourselves. For we wreck ourselves. But once a week we always check ourselves. In the ch 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 That's right, folks. We are back in action with sports for you. I know you look forward every week. We're going to come back at you with the full force of the Chattelak Checkdown this week. Mostly NFL news because that's what's going on right now. First things first, the remaining undefeated team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know I wasn't huge on them before, but they continue to prove me wrong week after week. The one soft point in that team, I continue to think, is an aging Ben Roethlisberger. In their win a couple of weeks ago, the guy you'd think the team who had four touchdowns, the quarterback would have looked good. He didn't have any. He had two picks. The touchdowns were all over the place. So again, it's yet to be seen if this team is one that can carry it the long haul. Again, we're talking seven, eight games into the season. We're only halfway there. We'll see what this team is going to continue to do. This is not a team who stays undefeated forever. It's just not. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. I mean, the Packers were undefeated. I thought they were a lot better than the Steelers. The Seahawks were undefeated. I thought they were a lot better than the Steelers. The Titans were undefeated. And then were beat by the Steelers. Nobody stays undefeated forever. It just doesn't happen. It'll be interesting to see where this team goes in the future. If they stick with Ben Roethlisberger like after this season. If they decide to bring in somebody new, somebody different. Absolutely. With the amount of weapons that this team has, if your quarterback is the weakest component to your team and you get somebody really talented in there, that could be a very dangerous team. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's a point that I never even thought of, but you bring in a young, virile quarterback to pair up with the rookie Chase Claypool, a young James Conner, a young Juju Smith-Schuster with a great defense. You can make a lot of changes really fast. And what could take a 7-0 team right now and blast them into what could be a playoff standout or a Super Bowl champion, I just don't think Ben Roethlisberger is the guy for the job. But that's still to be told. Seattle Seahawks bounce back in a beatdown of the 49ers, 37-27. The score makes it seem much closer than it actually was. Russell Wilson had 261 yards for four touchdowns. The guy looked hot again out there. A great bounce back game. Looking forward to the addition of Carlos Dunlap. This should really help the pass rush. We didn't see him in this game, but he was a trade from the Bengals for a draft pick and a not-so-hot player. We'll just leave it at that. But he's a pass rusher. It's what's going to bring this team what they need. And when he was with the Bengals, his biggest complaint was, I'm not getting enough snaps. I'm not involved enough in this team. Guess what, buddy? Come on over because you're going to be involved all the time. Jimmy Garoppolo had over three quarters to scrounge up 84 yards 
and a pick. Backup Nick Mullins comes in and puts up 238 yards and two touchdowns in less than one quarter. Granted, this was garbage time. The Seattle defense had done what they had never done all season and really put their boot down and really said, we're not going to get pushed around and really push the 49ers offense around. And then they kind of pedaled off. And when the backups came in, they're like, oh, it's whatever. That's why, like I said, it made the score seem a lot closer than it was. Uh, until Mullins came in, the score was separated by two to three scores at any time. There wasn't really a threat uh, of the game ever changing hands. The Seahawks, again, came out and looked really hot. Again, they lost to a talented team last week with the Arizona Cardinals. So I hope that this, well, that was enough to kind of kick them in the keister and get them realizing that, hey, we can't just keep cakewalking. we got to figure out this defense thing because Russell Wilson can't carry this team all the way through the Super Bowl. It's just not going to happen. On the other side of things, a team that had a bounce back last week but kind of faltered again this week, Aaron Rodgers went for 291 and three TDs, but it was not enough to beat the Vikings. Uh, Dalvin Cook had 163 rushing yards and three TDs, and then 63 receiving yards and a touchdown. So the guy goes for over 220 yards all-purpose for four touchdowns. Dalvin Cook continues to be a problem for the Green Bay Packers. Good rushers continue to be a problem for the Packers, to the point where Kirk Cousins only had to throw the ball 14 times. He was 11 for 14 for nothing, basically. And Dalvin Cook, every single time the ball was in his hands, he was a problem for this Packers defense. This was not as tough of a game to watch as their last loss, but this one definitely was frustrating. Again, you get the Packers coming out strong right away, and then it seems like they use all of their steam and all of their adrenaline and everything that they've got right away, and then all of a sudden everything just falls apart. The defense from a casual football fan, I couldn't see the defense doing anything to stop these guys. Like, nothing. And that was, again, the problem that they had in their last loss. Like This state loves cheese. The defense was Swiss cheese. Oh, Full it was just, just awful. And it's not just the defense, too. There were a lot of offensive problems, even down to, like, the last hope chance of the game. So much confusion on the field, even, that, like, you just, nothing came of it. Well, and vicious overconfidence, in my opinion. So, you go into this game, the Packers are 5-1. and one. The division rival, Minnesota Vikings, have done really nothing all season. A couple games, they've looked pretty good. Dalvin Cook is talented, but he's been hurt. They come into this game 1-5. and five. The Packers, for, for a second week, sitting Aaron Jones, a guy who probably could have gone. But, hindsight's twenty twenty. the defense was the problem, not the offense. So, whether Aaron Jones went or not, you really can't see if that contributed one way or another. Jamal Adams and A.J. Dillon, the rookie, looked pretty good throughout the game. But again, I mean, there was just no answer for Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook just, when you get a high-quality top 10, top 5 back against this Packers defense, they just get torn apart. Uh, here's the problem with Packer fans. Packer fans, while I feel are tried and true, often, when you look online, while they're often toted out as the real fans, the ones who always stick by their team, they are as much as any other team out with pitchforks and torches ready to get rid of people all across the internet. Get rid of Gunakuns. We need a, G a new GM after they literally suffered through Ted Thompson for decades. Get rid of um, Mike Pettin. He's just as bad as Dom Capers. Mike Pettin's only been around for a couple of years. They're like, we have all this talent. And it's like, I don't think that's necessarily the case. 
yes, you have the talent. I think there's a lot of holes in different areas. There's a lot of injuries in different areas. You take Jair Alexander, arguably the most talented cornerback in the league right now, ratings-wise, statistics-wise, one of the greatest cornerbacks in the league. His guy opposite, opposite him, Kevin King, can't stay healthy. So that defensive back core isn't that great. While you have Preston and Zadarius Smith, they're great, but they're also aging. And then you take Kenny Clark, one of the premier defensive linemen, the interior defensive linemen in the league. If you pair him up with SpongeBob and Patrick, you're not <laughs> getting any pressure in the interior, and that's what you really need. So while Aaron Rodgers is having one of his best career seasons, while Aaron Jones is running all over the place when he's not hurt, while Devontae Adams is one of the top wide receivers when he's not hurt, there's a lot of good parts, especially to this offense. But again, unless you can put the pieces together on this defense, it, it, it's unfortunate to see what can possibly come up as nothing when you have so much to put into this season. And one of the things, too, that I think Packer fans are guilty of, myself including, especially in this game, we view our rivals, the Bears and the Vikings, as like the inferior teams that, you know, they're garbage. And I mean, you look at the Vikings, their record, going into this game Packers were five and one the Vikings were one and five you look at that at those stats and you're like okay like this should be a no-brainer Packers should sweep this away no problem and then when they weren't and they couldn't pull it together and come out with a victory at the end me as a casual football fan was like why like what was going on like the Vikings are a garbage team they they shouldn't have beat the Packers but then you look at like the Vikings stats. Yeah, they're one and five. They're a talented team though too. Two of their games that they lost was only by one point. One of them was to your team, the Seahawks. They've just been struggling a little bit, but they're a talented team. They're not a team that can be slept on like we did because you sleep on them, they're going to roll you over. I have nothing to add to that. I love that take. Last but not least with the Packers, rookie A.J. Dillon tests positive for coronavirus. A handful of other players are being quarantined and are being tested. As of 7 o'clock on Tuesday night when we recorded this, the game had not been pushed. Who knows what could happen? The game may be pushed. What they did say is that the game could be pushed as far as Monday night, and it would not affect any other schedule in the NFL. So there's a good chance that this game gets pushed, but at the same time, if you really only have an A.J. Dillon who tests positive and Aaron Jones come back healthy and everybody else is good to go, I don't see this game getting pushed. If all the tests come back negative and everybody's ready to go, if A.J. Dillon's the one guy who's got to get quarantined, I think this game's going to get played and it's not going to be an issue. Otherwise, look for your Packers to be playing a beaten and battered George Kittle-less and possibly Jimmy Garoppolo-less 49ers team on Monday night uh, if it gets pushed. If not, it'll be Thursday night. So you already know about this by the time the episode comes out. But if it gets pushed, then we'll be a couple days ahead, and then you'll be listening to this. Quit trying to confuse our listeners, Chad. Goodness. All I'll say is I was surprised that this game wasn't pushed already. We decided to record on Tuesday night, anticipating that there was going to be a Thursday night game. Then when the news broke on Monday night, I texted Chad, and I was like, Let's be prepared. If this game gets postponed, we'll record on our normal night. We both agreed that if they were going to push the game, both Chad and I thought that it would be today, Tuesday, anywhere from like 11 to 2. 
especially with the election going on today like that's some big news that you want to get out in front of people before it gets buried in all the other news that's coming on today i am surprised that it didn't get pushed and i'm also curious to see if it doesn't get pushed or even if it does get pushed just to monday night the outcomes of playing this game because you have one player that's got covid chances are you're going to have more especially since they just played on sunday too and dylan was in that game on sunday it'll be interesting to see too how the vikings team is affected by it as well and after we talk about the teams that we love let's talk about the teams that we don't love so much in a new fan favorite segment suck it elvon we can continue this new segment because dallas continues to just blow it we talked about the garbage bowl of Dallas and the Eagles playing on Sunday Night Football, one of the lowest rated Sunday Night Football games of all time. Dallas still can't even get a win in the Garbage Bowl. Dallas falls 23-9 to to the Eagles. They couldn't even score a touchdown. This team continues to look bad. The offense is bad. The defense is bad. They're looking to back up, back up, back up, back up quarterback to start next week's game. We'll see what happens. I mean, you never know with talents at the wide receiver position like CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper, running backs of a top five caliber like Zeke Elliott. You really never know what you're going to get or what you have until you really see. Who knows? It could be a shot to the arm like a backup like Nick Foles, and maybe they could turn it around for a couple wins of the season. The NFC East sucks. I mean, the fact that a 3-4-1 team leads the division right now should be enough to tell you. The fact that the division has a team that doesn't even have a name should tell you enough. The the fact that the division has a team that is on their fourth string quarterback should tell you enough. They are a mess. It'll be interesting to see next year draft time, like what teams get what picks. I feel like all the first picks are going to go to that division because like you said, three, what was it? Three, four, and one. Leads the division, yeah. Yeah, that's... Garbage, garbage bowl is the, the thing right that term makes it a mess it. is that they each play each other twice in the year. So all those crappy teams have to play one another. So somebody has to win a handful of games, you know, which makes it messy. I For mean, our listeners who don't know, Elvon is a good friend of ours. He's a big, deep uh, Dallas Cowboys fan. I would love to get him on the show just to have you two like talk about it in front of a microphone because. Both of you are very strong and opinionated people, especially when it comes to sports. And oftentimes you aren't on the same views. <laughs> the best part now, though, the best part now to have him sit down on our show is he has no ammo. He has no fuel. Like, all he has is garbage. So I would love to have him on. Um, this is an official call-out to Elvon Riley. If you want to sit down and have a loving conversation about your favorite football team, the Midwestern nerds would love to have you. Last but not least, let's talk trade deadline. I'm just going to run through a couple of the trades uh, that ended today with the trade deadline. We already talked Carlos Dunlap to the Seattle Seahawks. There were a lot of rumors of Stephon Gilmore's and your J.J. Watts making their ways to other teams, and that didn't really happen. It kind of fizzled out, but if you didn't catch it, here's the information you need. Miami's uh, wide receiver Isaiah Ford is headed to New England for a 2027th round pick. Los Angeles Chargers cornerback Desmond King is headed to Tennessee for a sixth-round pick. San Francisco's linebacker Kawan Alexander is headed to New Orleans for linebacker Kiko Alonso and a contingency fifth-round pick. 
New York Jets linebacker Avery Williamson uh, is headed to Pittsburgh for a fifth-round pick. This guy went to bed on Sunday without a win and woke up Monday morning undefeated. (laughs) What a great way to be. Dallas defensive end Everson Griffin to Detroit for a sixth, and Minnesota's edge rusher Yannick Nguke to Baltimore for a third-round pick and a contingency fifth. I mean, a handful of trades that went through before the deadline, but with the talk that was coming, the Packers looking at Will Fuller or Kenny Stills for some draft picks, the Packers looking at J.J. Watt, the Seattle Seahawks looking at Stephon Gilmore. A lot of these big trades, uh, maybe not Will Fuller or Kenny Stills, but a trade for like a J.J. Watt or a, or a trade for a Stephon Gilmore, you're really mortgaging your future on a trade now. But with the talent that we've seen and the ability to win with the Packers and the Seattle Seahawks this year, you would have thought they would have gone out for that guy. You know, that could really push them over the edge to the point where Stefan Gilmore told his agent and his realtor he wants all bids on his house, all offers in on his house by 6 p.m. tonight because he's like, I'm getting traded. I'm out of here no matter what. Didn't happen. Oh, you're homeless now, boy. <laughs> Grant, <laughs> granted. You know, he's got plenty of money. He could buy whatever house. He could buy a whole apartment complex. It doesn't matter. You know, a lot of times we talk like, oh, nothing happened in the end you know, of the trade deadline. But there could have been deals made, but the numbers weren't ironed out and the exact specifics weren't ironed out. So we could hear about them tonight or tomorrow and really see, you know, some of those picks that might have rolled through. But usually the big blockbuster deals, the big player deals, they come out right away. And that's how we hear about them. And before we get out of this, we have to go back to what is probably our second favorite sports-related fan segment. Right behind Suck It Elvon is our fantasy football booms, busts, and sleepers with the Golden Nine. Folks, it's time to take off those tap shoes and lace up your sneakers because it's time for another weekly installment of fantasy football booms, busts, and sleepers with our favorite guest, the Golden Knight. I am Chad Coffin. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much for having me again. Let's not drag our feet here like we're toe tapping on the sideline let's get it started with your boom for the week my boom for the week is kyler murray quarterback for the cardinals kyler has taken a big step forward this year and i look for that to continue against the dolphins who granted our scrappy team but are now going up against the guy who just went toe-to-toe with russell wilson and won throwing the fact that the cards had a bye week and i think kyler has a big day against the dolphins Awesome pick. I mean, the guy's the number three quarterback in fantasy right now. He's got a couple interceptions. One, he had a rough week against Detroit with three interceptions, but he did have two touchdowns and 270 passing yards. I mean, this guy's resume this year speaks for itself. 26, 32, 21, 23, 26, 28, 37. I think the only other quarterback who's ahead of him is obviously Russell Wilson, and then I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head who the other one would be. But, yeah, just a good pick, a young guy who's really coming into his own, especially with the weapons that they have there now, especially looking a pass-heavier team now with Kenyon Drake being injured on and off. So, no, good pick for this week. I like it. My uh, bust for this week is Gus Edwards, running back for the Baltimore Ravens. Gus had a pretty decent game against the Steelers, rushing for almost 90 yards and a touchdown, but he played fewer snaps than teammate J.K. Dobbins, and Dobbins provides something in the passing game. Against the Colts, who are great against the run, I think Edwards may have a slide back. 
Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that you're saying here is that he is receiving as null and void and not null and void is, uh, oh, he doesn't have a lot. He has literally zero receptions, <laughs> zero yards and zero TDs this year. You know, a couple of good rushing weeks. The second one, over 10 carries he had both in week two and week six and week eight. He went for 73 yards in week two. He went for only 26 against Philly, but then he did have 87 yards and that touchdown putting him up to almost 15 points. So like you said, against Indy, I don't really see him repeating that. And then finally, the sleeper for the week is Marvin Jones, wide receiver for the Lions. The Lions may not be a good team, but they are good at scoring fantasy points for your team. Kenny Galladay is out this week and could be out for longer, but against the Vikings, look for Marvin Jones to fill in for Kenny and have the chance to go off for big numbers. You know, the only thing I think that puts a hamper on this, I know you did these picks before this happened because the news came out about an hour ago. They just put Matt Stafford on the COVID injury reserve list, whatever you want to call it. So we'll see what happens there. Again, you never really know. Some of these backup quarterbacks can come off and just snap one off and have a great game. You know, that's how Matt Flynn made all that money. You know, Jan- exactly, yeah. I don't remember who the Lions backup is offhand, like Jeff Driscoll or something like that. But I mean, hopefully that guy can throw the ball. Yeah, and who knows? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. As always, it is a pleasure. I know this is always a fast segment, but I know a lot of the guys out there who listen to the show who need a little bit of fantasy advice. I'm looking at you, Otters. Uh, really appreciate the uh, the extra little insight uh, before setting their lineup for the week. Again, for your Midwestern nerds, fantasy football, booms, busts, and sleepers, I'm Chad Coffin. And I'm the Golden Knight. We'll catch you next week. Those were some beautiful picks. And speaking of beautiful picks, I'm going to kick it over to my boy Brian for the best staff recommendations. Best staff this week is going to be short and sweet because we've spent the majority of this episode talking about it. It's the same pick for both Chad and I, and that's got to be The Mandalorian. If you haven't watched season one yet, what have you been waiting for? Go out and watch it. And if you haven't caught up on season two, episode one yet, watch that as well as episode two because by the time this episode drops episode two of the mandalorian will also be out all right guys a call to action our email is so full of dried out GoDaddy and instagram and twitter emails i don't want to see any of that anymore i have sitting in front of me a classic 80s x-men comic that has been signed, while we're not the creators of it, by your Midwesterners. It is backed, it is boarded, it is ready to be shipped out. I want to see somebody give us a shout out on a Facebook page, on a Twitter, on Instagram. Somebody give us a shout out and you're going to get a signed comic, classic 80s X-Men comic, signed by your Midwesterners, Brian Stoffel and Chad Coffin. Again, at Midwesternerds on Twitter and Instagram, Midwesternerds Podcast on Facebook. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. If you don't want to do a shout-out, I want to see you in our inbox, any of the things that we've called to action before. I want to see your crossover, whether it's Predator and Iron Man, whether it's Arnold and the Child. I want to hear that. I want to hear your ultimate band. I want to know if Jimmy Page is shredding right next to the guy from Slipknot. Let us know what you have to say, midwesternerds at gmail.com. We'd love to get this shipped out to a listener on the show. Guys, we love you and you love us. 
And as we end every week, for your Midwesterners, I'm Chad Coffin. And I'm Brian Stoffel. And whether it's beer, brats, comics, or pops, keep, keep it, it nerdy. nerdy.